welcome back to Series 3 of The Detective. In this series, we will be looking at the Metropolitan Police's oldest missing persons case, as I consider the question, is Mary Flanagan missing or murdered? Every 90 seconds, someone is reported missing, which means every 90 seconds, someone just like Brenda is going to be worried about what's happened to their loved one. Well, as I say, we used to go over to the park with a bat and ball, the jam sandwiches and the some water in a bottle to keep herself amused on the screens and whatever, playing cricket and just kept herself amused indoors with sort of um, colouring books and things like that and we used to make um, red and old fashion table which was a goat leg and we used to sort of put a blanket around that and make a den. We knew how to entertain ourselves without having a lot. Well Dad was quite strict. Dad was, um, he's a Geordie, so Northern Father. And I think Northern Parvis can be quite strict, and uh, so he had rules and regulations. Mum was softer. We don't know whether she got to the party or not, or whether there was a party or not. But all things sort of happened afterwards that made us think maybe there wasn't a party. DCI Rock did tell me that uh, the name Tom McGinty was banded around as somebody that she was kind of seeing at the time. Lots of people perhaps suggested that she could have eloped with him. Long while after, my mum saw an old neighbour, I'm talking about years after, and he said to her, Oh Mary, I think your Mary turned into a lovely young lady. And mum said, What do you mean? So he said, Well, I've seen her. And mum said, You've seen her? Said, yeah, I've seen her. He said, um, So she said, Well, I don't know what she turned out like. She's been missing since um, New Year's Eve 1959. So I said, oh, I didn't know that. So a forensic artist can have a number of roles. Um, generally, it's regarding creating face, uh, creating facial images, and this can be for the purpose of identifying a person or seeing how someone will look many years after they've gone missing. Yeah, after a couple of months, I'd say, he just, he just didn't come round. And of course, we didn't know where he lived. Mm. So Dad couldn't go around knocking on his door, you know. We've done a long list of publicity that um, has covered and spanned all sorts of things from um, posters to digital billboards um, to articles in the newspaper, obviously to social media, um, all throughout the years. Everything in our arsenal we have tried to try and reach out to Mary or anyone else who knew what could have happened to Mary. I mean, that's that's what makes it very odd as well, that nobody seemed to have seen her. On what would have been one of the busiest nights of the year, you know, it, it does seem very odd that, you know, nobody saw anything on New Year's Eve and all of the pubs would have been completely packed. It's a mystery that continues to fascinate people. It is New Year's Eve 1959, and one family's life was to change forever. By New Year's Day, her parents realised that Mary had not come home. They were concerned it was out of character. Mary had told them that she was going to a party at Tate and Lyle, where she worked. Anxious and now worried, her mum and dad, Mary and Barry, went to the factory to see if they knew anything. What they were told shocked and confused them. Mary had not been at work for two weeks. This despite the fact she'd been setting off each morning and returning home each night as if she'd been working there. Alarm bells rang and her parents went to the police.
My name is Mark Williams-Thomas and this is Series 3 of the Detective Podcast. What happened to Mary Flanagan? Missing or murdered? My background is as a former police detective turned investigative reporter. All of the accounts are accurate, although some may be voiced up. Once upon a time, there was a gingerbread man. Everyone wanted the little biscuit because he was made from Lyle's golden syrup and cane sugar. From Tate and Lyle, the only cane sugar refiners in the kingdom. The mystery of the missing 16-year-old Mary Flanagan remains unsolved. 60 years on, hers is the oldest case on the files of both the Metropolitan Police and the Missing People Charity. So what happened to Mary? Did she run away to start a new life or was she murdered? Her parents, Mary and Barry, sadly died, never knowing what happened to their daughter. Amy Walker is a casework manager at the Missing People Charity and is in charge of Mary's case. Every 90 seconds, someone is reported missing, which means every 90 seconds, someone is going to be worried about what's happened to their loved one, um, if they're okay, if they're safe, um, if they need support, if they need help. And that's part of what we're here for, is to be there for the person who's worried and also to be there as that branch in between for the person who's away from home. Mary was one of four siblings. Her sister Brenda was just eight years old when Mary went missing. Well, I was the baby of the family, being eight. Um, Kevin was the next one, was 11. And then there was Eileen at 14 and obviously Mary at 16. Um, we was quite a close-knit family, really, um, and we loved spending time together. Um, and I adored, I adored my siblings, um, and I always watched Mary when she was getting ready to, to go out, putting her makeup on and things like that, and wishing I could go with her, but obviously there's quite a bit of age difference. Um, and I'd done the same with Eileen. When Eileen grew up, I used to watch her sitting in front of the mirror, putting her makeup on, the three girls all in one bed. And Kevin had had little camp bed. So it was really, very, very hard. Um, but we were happy. We were happy. And we had a lot of laughs. And we had food on the table. And we had each other. Although we didn't have a lot, we had each other. And money was very tight. We never went on holidays. Mum didn't work. Dad worked as um, a labourer. But then he became a tiler and slater. And that's how he met Mum in plaster. So what was 1959 like compared to now? Very different. Even down to the fact of where we lived, because um, I go there quite a bit, generally, two, three times a year, and I go back there because obviously that's where my Mary's last address is, and it's so, so different. The buildings are all different. Um, we had a what they called in the memorial ground opposite was this flat piece of ground that they've got all the houses on. It's so, so different now. I mean, we thought it was a palace when we went, but after we've been there a few years, we realised it wasn't a palace. Children growing up now have the internet, computer games, Netflix, mobile phones. The list is endless. But it was very different growing up 60 years ago. We used to go over to the park with a bat and ball, just jam sandwiches and some water in a bottle to keep ourselves amused on the screens and whatever, playing cricket and just kept herself from moving doors with sort of um, colouring books and things like that. And we used to make um, red and old fashioned table, which was a date leg. And we used to sort of put a blanket around that and make a den. And 
And Eileen and Kevin, when they used to play, when they were younger, Eileen used to always get Kevin's toy soldiers and bite their heads off. <laughs> and she <laughs> thought it was very funny. And Kevin used to make things like, um, he would make forts out of um, pegs and things. We we kept ourselves amused a lot, really. We knew how to entertain ourselves without having a lot. Mary was just 16 years old when she went missing, still a child. Mary was a very um, happy-go-lucky girl, very bubbly, lively. She was lovely looking, really lovely looking. She looked older than what she did. Um, she had her own mind, and if she wanted to do something, she was going to do it. And she never liked being told what she could and she couldn't do. So she was very strong-minded. Um, she loved listening to music, and she was always dancing around in the flat. And she even taught herself how to do the jive with the door handle. Always singing and happy go lucky. Had a brilliant smile. And she was very, 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 very loving towards all of us. So what could have caused Mary to just leave home and have family behind? Dad said there was a little bit of uh, conflict. Because say, he used to say, you can't do that. And you can't wear that colour lipstick. You can't wear tight skirts. You can't wear this. And So there was a bit of conflict. There was a bit of conflict there, and um, you think maybe he was being a bit strict. They, they did have words. They did have words, but they got over it. And what about Mary's friends? Dad introduced her to um, a bloke that he met on the docks called Tom. But unfortunately, we can't remember his surname. We know he's Irish, and we know he's Ginger, and we know that he was some years older than Mary, but we can't say exactly, but we would think between 20 and 25. Dad introduced them, he liked this guy, and him and Mary got together, and they started going out together. And things was a lot more relaxed, because Dad knew where she was, who she was with, and things like that. And he agreed to them getting engaged. Now, we never see an engagement ring, but it was announced that they were engaged. And things were things was going on fine, as far as we were concerned. Mary's dad introduced Mary to a man at the docks called Tom, and then about six months before Mary disappeared, she got engaged to him. We know that Mary had been working at the Tate and Lyle factory. And makers of the Snow Whitest Icing Sugar, Tate and Lyle Cane Sugar. <laughs> Smile, it's Tate and Lyle. Although unbeknown to her family, she had not been going to work in the two weeks prior to her vanishing. Well, she did work at two places. Now, there's a bit of confusion over this as well. One of the places was Ames Optical Frame Makers in East Ham. And the other place was Tate and Lyle Sugar Refining. Kevin seems to think that she left Tate and Lyle because she didn't like the uh, shift work and then just carried on working at So it could have been that she had two jobs, part-time at each, but then decided to pack up tank now because the shift were and just go to home. It is clear from talking to Brenda that they were a very close family. And although Mary was still only a child, her parents, according to Brenda and the rest of the children, were happy that she was in such a serious relationship with a man very much older than her. So much so that they even allowed them to get engaged. I will explore this relationship more in due course, but for now, what do we know about Tom? Well, very little. 
He was about 20 to 25 years old in 1959, worked at the docks, and it would seem none of the family knew or can remember his surname or where he lived. And the police files don't help either, because even if they did have his name at the time in 1959 when they investigated the case, the files have long since been destroyed, so no record exists. Perhaps there is an event of significance. The night before Mary vanished, there was an argument at home. Eileen Nicole, she was in bed and she heard lots of raised uh, voices. One of which was Mary, the other two was Dad and Tom. She couldn't hear what they were saying, but she could hear raised voices. She came to bed crying. And Eileen said to her, what are you crying over? So she said, I've had a veil with Tom and I've had a veil with Dad. And I said, yeah, well, I heard arguing, but I couldn't hear what he was rambling about. So what was the ram about? So she said, well, it turns out the lady that Tom's living with, he always told me was his landlady, like in a bedroom type thing. But it turns out that it wasn't his landlady, it was his mum. And I said, well, why have you got to argue over that? And she said, because he's lied to me. And if he's lied to me about that, what else has he lied to me about? And I went and said, well, how does that get involved then? So she said, well, Tom, I told Tom when he told me this, we had a row, and I told him I didn't want to see him anymore because he's lied. And Tom being a gentleman, which he was, he, he still wanted to be Mary Ellen. And when he brought Mary Ellen, Dad said to, Mary said to Dad, you won't be seeing Tom anymore after tonight, Dad. And he said, well, why is that? And Mary told him what had happened. And then Mary was shot because Dad stood up for Tom. And she said, you're standing up for Tom. You should be standing up for me. I'm your daughter. He said, but I can't see what the big deal is, Mary. I really can't see it. But she wasn't having it. She wasn't having it. And she said, look, you're not going to be seeing him anymore because I'm not going to be seeing him anymore. And that was it. And then Tom left. And Arlene still said to her, well, I still can't see what the, what it is. You're getting on well and all this. And he, she said, no, I'm not seeing him anymore. And then she got in bed and she cried herself to sleep. It could easily be said that Mary massively overreacted. But what we don't know is if this stood in isolation or was a catalyst with other underlying issues already existing between Tom and Mary or with her dad. But what we do know is that within 24 hours of this argument, Mary had disappeared. At this stage, two options are open. Either Mary ran away, wanting to start a new life, or she came to some harm from a third party, who she may or may not have known. We will explore both of these in further detail in due course. But first, let's hear from the charity Missing People, who have been instrumental in both supporting the family in keeping the disappearance of Mary in the public eye. Uh, missing is a very, very complicated um, situation. So it will come under themes. So it could be relationship issues, but that can then come out in lots of different ways. It could be difficulties with your partner, with your parents, with your siblings. Um, 
and that can all come under relationship issues. It could be financial issues, which could be around, you know, you might have lost your job or the income has significantly changed and that's caused a lot of problems at home. Um, we know that a lot of people go missing due to ill mental health and the struggles that they're then facing. Sometimes people feel that their families are better off without them and they'll take themselves away. Um, sometimes it's a pull factor and it could be something else that's going on outside of the home, um, particularly for children around being exploited and you feel like you're being pulled away from the home to try and protect everyone. So missing is probably one of the most complex things I've ever worked with, which is probably what's kept me here. For professionals and as a society, we know so much more now about missing people. With a police attitude and approach, worlds away from where it was in 1959. But just how big is the problem? The majority of people, I think, are found within the first two or three days to a week. Um, so it is, and then there's varying levels of, of time, whether it's two months, six months, a year. Quite a lot of people do return after a year or, or are found. Um, sometimes people aren't ready to come home, but at least their loved ones who are left behind know they're safe. And then there's a small percentage who are still missing after a year. Um, and those are the ones where the support that missing people provides is, is so important because after it's been a long period of time, your family and friends may not know what to say anymore. You know, they don't know, do I be angry? Should I be worried? You know, they have no idea what, what's the right response. So how did the Missing People charity become involved in Mary's case? We've had a record for Mary um, since 1994 and that was because the family reached out to us and said, can you help? We've done a long list of publicity that um, has covered and spanned all sorts of things from um, posters to digital billboards um, to articles in the newspaper, obviously to social media, um, all throughout the years. Everything in our arsenal we have tried to try and reach out to Mary or anyone else who knew what could have happened to Mary. We tried to, to look for Mary through our, our networks to see if she had popped up anywhere. And sadly, nothing had come to fruition, which we expected, to be fair, the traces that we do are similar to those that the police do. And they're normally done um, for families where we're not doing publicity and where they're not a registered missing case. Um, but considering the length that Mary had been missing, we wanted to try and do literally everything we could um, to see if we could find her. So we know that on New Year's Eve, Mary told her parents that she was going to a party at Tate and Lyle. And then by the morning, when the family woke up, Mary had not returned. What has compounded this case and made it very difficult to answer the many questions that I have is that the two people who I think have vital information, namely Mary's mum and dad, are now dead. For example... We have no idea if a party did occur that night, and if it did, did Mary go to it? Was she seen by work colleagues? Nor do we know what inquiries the police made about her disappearance, if they traced her friends, if they interviewed the fiancé Tom, and if they did, what was his full name and where did he live? The family did report Mary missing to the police at the time, and from Brenda's account, they did do some investigations, although we don't know how serious they took it. It is highly likely though that back in 1959 they did not take it that seriously, not like they would today. Very disappointingly, whatever the police did do, we will never know because any paperwork connected to the case was destroyed 
The family say the police told them this occurred in a flood. I want to go back to New Year's Eve 1959, so the morning after the argument and the day that Mary was last seen. It was a working day, and Mary had slept in. And um, she said to Mum, you know, I'm not going to be able to go to work now, it's too late. So Mum said, no, don't bother you, you might as well just stay at home, don't worry about it. But during the course of the morning, Mary had a change of heart. And she said to Mum, I think I will go to work, Mum, I'm going to go for the afternoon. So she said, well, it's up to you if that's what you want to do. You know, that's fine. So she what's made you change your mind? She said, because it's a New Year's Eve party and I want to go to it and I can't really go to turn up to the New Year's Eve party if I've not been at work. So I'll just go in and tell them I've slept in and at least I've gone to work. So that's what she decided to do. And um, she had a bit of lunch, she got herself ready and then she went off. We don't know whether she got to the party or not or whether there was a party or not. But all things sort of happened afterwards that made us think maybe there wasn't a party. Well, the next thing that would have involved Kate and Noel was that she didn't come home on that evening. Because she was supposed to be having the party, uh, having the work, and then the party falling straight on. So she wouldn't have had to come home to get ready to go to the party. It was the next morning when Mary had not returned that the family became concerned. When she wasn't there, um, alarm bells started ringing. But then mum and dad thought, well, maybe she stayed at her girlfriend because perhaps it was a bit late. She stayed at her girlfriend, probably had a drink or two, and um, wasn't in the state to come on. And we wasn't on the phone, so she couldn't phone us to let us know she was staying there. So mum and dad just thought, well, she's probably then and then gone to work afterwards. In those days, you had to work on New Year's Day, where you don't now. So she probably, they thought, she probably had the party, stayed at her girlfriend, and then they've gone to work afterwards, and she'd come home as normal tea time. When it got to about lunchtime, Mum was getting just more worried, and her Dad said to her, I can see you really worried me. Give my mum's name is Mary too. She said, I am, I'm really worried. So he said, well, why don't we go to the firm just to check that she's there? Did that make you feel any happier? And she said, oh, yes, I'd like that. So they went to Tate and Noel to the firm, and um, they spoke to the manager, and they had a shot because he said, well, in fact, Mary's not here, and she hasn't been here for two weeks. And Mum said, maybe she hasn't been here for two weeks. She's been going out as though she's been going to work and coming home as though she's been to work. He said, well, we haven't seen her for two weeks. And uh, they, they couldn't make that out. And I don't know whether Mum and Dad mentioned the party or not. Um, we've never been told anything about that. They do have parties. I mean, I've read the book, The Sugar Girls, which is all about, obviously, the girls that can't know. And all these things, you know, facts about the girls and things. And I know they say they had... Um, um, the South Association, where they did have parties, and they they are in the book now talking about a party they had over the Christmas period. So it could have been, and it could not have been, but we're not 100% sure of that. There are so many unanswered questions, 
We don't know if Mary went to a party at Tate and Lyle on New Year's Eve, or if one was even on. We also don't know why she was pretending to go to work in the two weeks before she vanished. Was something else going on in Mary's life that she was keeping secret? It's New Year's Day 1960, and the family are now so concerned they report her missing. And they made all the details out and made a file. And they said, okay, then we look into it and we'll be in touch. And uh, obviously they'd done searching and things like that. And uh, they never found her. And here we are, all these years down the line, still in that same position. So what did your parents do and the family do to try and find her in those early days? Well, Dad spent a lot of time with Tom. Tom used to still come round for a few months, going out. When his dad wasn't at work, he was out in the streets looking for Mary with Tom. Just walking around the streets, going to... Mary used to like going to um, a cafe that was next to the Granada Cinema on East End, just to listen to the jukebox with her powers and that. And they used to go there and just stand around in the hope that she might turn up one night or whatever. Um, but obviously she didn't, and um, just walking the streets, the famously really, in the hope that I would say they even we used to go to Plaster where we used to live, just in case she used to go around there and things. Um, and you know, nothing, nothing really happened. I started doing researching to find her. Now. I was told, 2013, I was told that they had a flood. The paperwork was destroyed. So, according to Parker Police Station, Mary was never reported missing. And that's terrible because that looks as though mum and dad didn't care enough to report mm. their firstborn missing. Because there's no record of it. This is shocking, and I believe the contributing factor as to why Mary's case remains unsolved. But it is sadly not the first time that I have heard it. I once investigated a case in Scotland where a family made inquiries decades later about a loved one who had gone missing, only to find out that the police had no record of her ever having gone missing, even though it was reported at the time in the press with reference to the police investigating. So again, a case of police destroying paperwork and files. So what are the options? What happened to Mary? She just ran away, wanting to start a new life, either alone or with her fiancé Tom. We will consider this in due course, and if this is likely. Or did Mary come to harm, either at the hands of someone known to her or a stranger? If this is the case, Mary's body has never been recovered. Coming up in next week's concluding episode. So forensic artists can have a number of roles. Um, generally it's regarding creating, face, uh, creating facial images and this can be the purpose of identifying a person or seeing how someone will look many years after they've gone missing. Did Mary just run off? Or did something more sinister occur? 
No, and and this is it. I mean, this is uh, the other uh, very kind of I don't know. I think there's a, a bit of an odd contradiction at the, at the heart of the story, really, um, which uh, it, it basically boils down to very personal matters. So it's very difficult to, to ascertain what happened. But I mean. Um, you know, DCI Rock did tell me that uh, the name Tom McGinty was banded around as somebody that she was kind of seeing at the time. Lots of people perhaps suggested that she could have eloped with him. But again, then that would suggest that her family wouldn't have been happy mm. if, if, uh, if she got married to Tom. And what of the family dynamics? Dad was quite strict. Dad was, um, he's a Geordie, so Northern father, and I think Northern fathers can be quite strict, and so he had rules and regulations. Mum was softer. Could Mary have been scared of something? I think she was pregnant. And we all think that. I don't know whether mum and dad thought that, they never said that, but I think she was pregnant and she would be very frightened to come home and tell my dad being a Catholic. But why has nobody ever come forward? You know, it, it does seem very odd that you know, nobody saw anything on New Year's Eve when all of the pubs would have been completely packed. And it's a mystery that continues to fascinate people. And could Mary be the woman who went into the Edinburgh police station? I had a phone call from the police up in, in Edinburgh. And this person said to me, um, um, I don't want you to get too excited. He said, but a woman came into the police station today and she said her name was Mary. You've just heard episode one, Mary Flanagan, missing or murdered. If you enjoyed this podcast, we ask that you please tell your true crime friends to listen and subscribe to our channel. If you have any thoughts or just want to get in touch, then you can do so via our Twitter page at The Detective FM or go to our website www.the-detective.co.uk. Thank you for listening. This episode was written, produced and recorded by Mark Williams Thomas, edited by Martin Kays and the music by Dylan E. Pager. The Detective is an original true crime podcast brought to you by Acast. <laughs>